0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hey friends, today's episode is brought to you by Podbean, your all-in-one podcast hosting and publishing provider. For any of you who've ever thought of trying to get your message out, like a friend of mine just messaged me today. He said, hey, Luke, I want to help get the word out about my conference. And you know what I told him? I said, I know exactly who you should talk to, Podbean. They make it super easy. Even if, I don't know, say you're 50-ish and you're a grandpa and you've got a conference you want to tell people about. Now with the mobile app from Podbean, it's super easy. You can record directly from your phone and publish it from your phone. And even someone who's not super technologically advanced can cope with this technology. Um, So this would be your harbor, your safe haven For whatever message you need to get out Go to com backslash newsworthy For more information On the show All right, friends Welcome back to the podcast We've got one of my favorite people in the world I mean easily top 20 people Who are live today Becca Stevens Welcome Becca
1: I am so grateful to be back on And I'm really grateful to be talking to you Thank you for loving me and loving thistle farms seriously
0: there is lots of love lots of love now i'm i'm a little bit heartbroken that we're doing this over the phone i was hoping next week when i was in nashville we're going to be able to hang out in person but you were going to be gone
1: i'm going to be in texas
0: i know it's it's weird but you know what god bless this broken road that led me right to you (laughs) in this phone call so i i think god was part of that
1: Thank you for also, I think we get a nickel every time that, (laughs) that line, so that's awesome.
0: The royalty checks are in the mail. Uh, You're, you're welcome, Mr. My
1: husband wrote that song for whoever doesn't know that, and so it was a very big gift that he said that.
0: Yeah, that was, that was great. I, um, (laughs) I try to reference every song that he's written. I don't know a whole lot of them, but I'd need wide open spaces to make the big mistakes. Did he, did he write that one too?
1: Hey, 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 hey. You're in the right place.
0: I, I can't keep doing this. I don't know that much country music. Um, oh, shoot. Um, I love it when you call me Big Papa. Throw your hands in the air if you're true. Did he write that rap song?
1: No, but he, um, my son just wrote a song that's been released, Levi Hummin', that's called Stupid. That's easy.
0: <laughs> that's Wait, what is, what's the name of the song? Stupid. 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 Okay. I kind of want to look that song up. Are you proud of your son writing a song called Stupid?
1: You know what? It's a fun, fun song. It's about, I just want to get stupid with you. It's really fun. It's like, I just don't want to be so safe and smart all the time. Mm-hmm. I just want to be reckless and in love. And it's what a 25-year-old young man yeah. full of life wants to write about.
0: I, I think that's a beautiful gesture, and I'm going to go look that song up just now because of that. Um, I, I want to get, stu- you know, this, l- let's just get stupid during this podcast. And is that the <laughs> way to use that song? I don't know. I feel like I owe yeah. him a nickel now. Um, yes. I'll, how about this? I'll just put a quarter in the mail for the entire family and okay. any, anything else that I rip off, I trust that love will heal it. Okay,
1: another nickel.
0: There it is. There it is. Okay. Um, hmm. Can I tell you a story? Yeah. Okay, a few weeks ago, Your former intern, Christian Holly, and the rest of his friends at St. Matthew's Episcopal Church invited us from the Westover Hills Church of Christ to walk across the street and share a Eucharist service, and they asked me to preach it. And so, for the first time in my life, I wore a robe to preach it.
1: (gasps) How'd that feel? For real.
0: It was hot. They are not dry fit. They need some... Better ventilation or something, but it, it's it's a little bit um, it's a little bit warm. It's
1: okay, so you being like hot in a sexy way.
0: Yeah, I probably don't really refer to myself as hot very often in the sexy way. Um, do <laughs> More you, of a tip. Temp- yeah, that's 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 pretty much. When was the last time that you said you looked hot while you were preaching wearing a robe?
1: I um, let me th- I'm gonna think. Sometimes I feel like I do look pretty hot.
0: Hmm, okay. I think that's great. Yeah, I just...
1: I, and it looks... Everybody, though, I won't wear that cincture, the belt thing, Hmm. because I think it makes you look not hot.
0: I, I put the belt on. Was that a bad move? I shouldn't have done that?
1: You should have called it a cincture, for one thing.
0: Cincture. Um, okay. No,
1: I, but no, I think it's good. If, if, if you're thin like you are, you should just go for it.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I... White is slimming, like they. I don't think white is slimming, but anyway, it was it was a lot of fun. And uh, I'm
1: so glad. Yeah, you know, it's it was probably so good for that church
0: too. I, I th- honestly, it's great for both of our churches. You know, my one of the worst parts of the Church of Christ is our. Historical um, tendency towards being separatists and being isolationists from the rest of the Christian family. And our church really appreciates the things that we do that are reaching out to our brothers and sisters across the aisle. So it was good for everyone involved.
1: I wish everybody was like that because I always, you know, just think like, I mean, even not even just in the church world, but in the non for profit world, it's like people get competitive or this. This is my thing. This is what I do. And it's like, oh, everybody's got to do it together. We need each other.
0: Yeah. In the nonprofit world. Because oh they're yeah. like, we're helping more people get out of addiction and prostitution than you are like you can compete for that. Yes,
1: and I think people are competing because they think the dollars aren't there. So it's like, let's say I have a women's shelter uh, in town, mm-hmm. and then somebody else is coming in with a different model for how to help women come off the streets or out of prison, and people get protective. And so what you have to do is really, really build alliances and saying, you know, there are more resources, and we can harness more if we work together. And, you know, because obviously the demand far, far out. out exceeds the uh, availability of beds, So let's just all join in together.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's just a good attitude for all humanity with everything. Uh, we're, we're all Jeff just together. It's an
1: uncompetitive sport.
0: Yeah. 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 Let's, let's focus on love, not competing. I think that works better. Collaboration instead of competition. Let's do that. Um, Becca, can I tell you something? I don't know if I'm embarrassed of this or not. I feel like I should be just a little bit. Um, but you're... You're the founder of Thistle Farms. You knew that. Um, I, I read in your new book, which is entitled Love Heals, um, that thistles typically would not be farmed. And I finally realized that that's kind of like a, a wordplay. It's kind of an I- ironic statement. And I didn't know that for the first like f- five years that we've known each other. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. You thought I was just out there farming thistles.
0: I didn't know what it meant. I just thought, oh, it's just called thistle farms. I, I the the metaphors and the imagery that you live in is a world that I don't often step into.
1: Now how is that possible as a preacher?
0: Well, like I don't do a whole lot of farming. I, I have Trader Joe's and H E B that does <laughs> the farming for me. Um so I I yeah, like that I it just I, I like body balm, and I use body balm from Thistle Farms. Um, Freak, I've used it already today. But I, the the farming, yeah, that's about it.
1: Well, it is it comes, I mean that was that was the flower that was left where the women were walking and sleeping and turning tricks, and so we just thought, let's call it Thistle Farms, and it, it, and thistles are a great metaphor of you know just like the story of consider the lilies of the field, consider the thistles, how people have. Talk about them being notorious weeds and, you know, destroy them at all costs, but yet they're these beautiful, enduring flowers. And so the women are a lot like thistles. They have a deep, beautiful, soft purple center. But, you know, these outer, these exteriors that will prick you and are hard to manage sometimes. And so, you know, we we started we started calling it thistle farms, but what I didn't realize was how healing thistles were. Mm-hmm. And that's my favorite part is like, you know, thistles are really good for you. And if you use the thistle extract, it's great for your liver. It's a great balancer. And, you know, we, we get to use them now. We make paper out of them and we make tea with them. It's, it's awesome.
0: That's, that's pretty impressive. I don't have a follow-up question because I don't know enough about livers. Or tea to really ask well, more about well, that. Well, here's
1: what you should know. I mean, okay. think about women who... So, you know, you know this. On average, the women that we serve are first rate between the ages of 7 and 11, first hit the streets between 14 and 16-year-old. And we um, have a lot, a lot of women who have addiction issues, and that just does a number on your liver.
0: Hmm.
1: And, you know, the link between childhood trauma and addiction is very, very powerful. And the sex industry and the drug industry are just intertwined. So to have a weed or a flower that specifically helps the liver is perfect for us because that's what happens in addictions. It attacks your liver.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, I, interesting. The, um, have you seen the has, hashtag that's been going around the recent days, uh, the Me Too hashtag? I think that's what it is? Yep. Uh, people who have been... Uh, attacked or traumatized to some degree uh as you've been seeing that what what's going through your head as you've you've been seeing that
1: well a lot of stuff has been going through my head and you know i don't think anybody's surprised by the numbers i mean if you looked at anything it's one out of four women one out of six men who have experienced some harassment you know the numbers about rape are less but the idea of um you know the universal issues of sexual assault and how they're born on individual people's bodies, you know, it's its a humbling thing to read over and over all the Me Too's, Me Too's, Me Too's. But what I hope is that, you know, it translates into something. I mean, we, you know, it is awesome for people to be able to vent their anger, their forgiveness, their compassion, their brokenness. It's awesome. But to translate that into advocacy and action and economic empowerment for women and, and, and into things that are very tangible, I think, is critical. Yeah. And I keep thinking about how, you know, at Thistle Farms, we get a lot of praise. People say, oh my gosh, I love what you do. I can't believe it. Y'all, the women are so inspiring, blah, blah. It's awesome. But then they go their soap somewhere else. I mean, the best thing you've said so far, you've said a million good things, but the idea that you've already used the body bomb today, That speaks volumes to me that it's like you get that there's a connection between like how we spend our money and what we do with our bodies on a daily basis and how we react to stuff like Me Too. Mm -hmm. So you were a part of healing today, not just healing yourself, but I'm talking about healing the women at Thistle Farms because every time we get to sell products and we get to help other women come in, they become economically independent, which is a huge part of healing. So that's what I'm hoping, and all of it, I hope it translates into some really tangible, practical, amazing, small, beautiful things.
0: I think that is one of the the weaknesses that the social media world creates is a sense that just because I say something or I post something, that that is the action I'm supposed to take, and I I think that's pretty impotent to making a real change. And so I, I love that you give very tangible ways where people can make a difference instead of just posting me to, which I think is a very valuable thing to do, but to change where you buy your soap or your lotion or whatever. And so I'm glad that you could see that my dry skin issues are being used for good and you're, <laughs> you're welcome. W- when you said people are expressing their hurt, but also expressing their anger. I've heard, I've heard you tell your story multiple times. I've read it uh, in different, different things that you've written uh, about how you were abused at a young age. Your father passes away. The, the new pastor in town, huge jackass uh, abuses you and you I've never sensed anger when you've described that and that maybe you're you just don't feel like it's the appropriate place to put it down but in this new book you talk about there's a com- that compassion for others leads to healing for self mm-hmm. and
1: I think I think let me just say something about that though. it was like I remember a time, I never really had a ton of anger. I don't remember that being like my my feeling, but I do remember thinking because I hadn't dealt with it myself in in any significant way, I hope you can hear my dog barking. I That's think really- your dog's
0: upset, and yeah. maybe he's just but, sensing that.
1: What I remember is thinking, like, why are people talking about this? It's not that big a deal. When I was young, I'm like 17, 18 years old, thinking like, um, when people started talking about stuff that I didn't like it, it kind of made me mad. And then I realized it was because I don't think I ever trusted that what happened to me would evoke um, compassion or sympathy from somebody else. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, you didn't think they anyone would, think would care enough?
1: Yeah, maybe I think that was it. And so... I never was mad about me, but I was mad about other people talking about their stuff. And then once I realized, oh, wait, you know, it's all, it's, you know, people can talk about it and there's plenty, again, of compassion out there and I can talk about it and nothing bad will happen and people won't stop loving me and all that. So... I think I never, I never, I do not remember anger being the feeling I had. I remember thinking I don't like the guy, and I'm scared of the guy, and um, he's a bad guy. I knew all that stuff. But, like, I never had any, like, a violent thought or, you know, just so mad I couldn't deal with life thought. I just always... I just didn't want it to be a story. That was yeah. the truth. I did not want that to be my story. And I knew that I wanted to change the narrative, even if that is what happened to me, that my story was a lot deeper and a lot bigger than that.
0: And that obviously is not how your story's played out. There's amazing um, flowers that have bloomed out of a very dark thing that happened to you, not just with being abused, but also the tragic passing of your father at early at five years old, is that right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so obviously that's not, have, not where the story ended, but if we could go back to your late teen years, you said that you were sometimes mad at other people when they were talking about their issues. Was that mm-hmm. a sense like you shouldn't talk about your issues, so why should they talk about their issues?
1: Yes. Okay. like like let's, like, let's just pretend like nothing ever happened to any of us kind um, of thing.
0: Hmm. You
1: know, and you would, would just, or I'd think like that's it's kind of weak to talk about it
0: Hmm.
1: like that happened a long time ago why are you talking about it still because i mean mine ended by the time i was somewhere between eight and nine years old Mm -hmm. that's my last memory of the um sexual assaults and so i would you would think you know like by the time i was 18 or 19 that was 10 years ago i didn't realize what a big impact it was still having yeah and what, um, what that really, how it had kind of changed my view of the world. How, I didn't know it all.
0: Do you have you run into other uh, survivors of abuse who've had that same attitude that you've had?
1: Yeah, I have. I have. And how common is that? Well, I, one. Can I tell a story? Is that all right? Yeah, do whatever you want. There was a girl that was. When I say girl, she was under eighteen. Who was. Being raised in a um, orphanage in Brazil, she got adopted by an American family and ended up on the streets. And so she got adopted when she was eight or nine, and she hit the streets about sixteen or seventeen. Just a mess. And she had so much guilt for, um, you know, not taking advantage of this gift of being adopted and being on the streets. The abuse that she suffered in that um, orphanage when she was really little, the way she described it was it was, you know, things you wouldn't do to a dog, is what they did to her. And she um, always felt really guilty. And finally, we were in Rwanda and we were working with a group of women. We had all the women in Rwanda who were survivors of the genocide write letters to the women in Nashville and vice versa. And she got this letter from this woman in Rwanda who had been raised in a foster home and had been abused and had been on the streets. And all of a sudden she felt, the woman in Nashville that this had happened to, felt such anger on her behalf. And I said, you know, the same thing happened to you. And she was like, oh, my gosh. Like she Mm -hmm. could finally see, like, She wasn't, she didn't have to just feel guilty and bad. There was a lot of trauma and she couldn't get there from her own experience, but she could get there from a woman from the other side of the world. Hmm. And it was the beginning of a lot of healing for her.
0: Yeah. Do you think healing requires you to get to a place where you're angry instead of just internalizing it and thinking I deserve this or it's not a big deal? But do you feel like because that seems like it's almost a defense mechanism, just to push the feelings down and not deal with them. But to deal with the anger is to begin the cathartic process.
1: Yeah, I think if anger comes up, you should definitely experience it and then go deeper than it. Because you know, you know, anger's not that deep a feeling. Yeah, it's it's pretty surface.
0: You but said you said if anger comes up, so you don't think it's uh, consistent for everyone that anger is is part of the the response.
1: I don't know. I mean, maybe it is, but I would hate to say that I'm not. I don't. I'm not an expert in trauma. I think there's a lot of anger for a lot of people, but I don't know that 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 is the presenting feeling for a lot of people. But what I guess what I'm trying to say is that if when if slash when there's anger, what um, to go underneath that anger and find out really like you know what that the depth of that trauma and brokenness and abandonment and fear, like what is all that stuff that's deeper than that?
0: So, Okay, so fear is a surface. It's it's not a deep emotion. It's a shallow emotion. Abandonment, fear, those are the deeper emotions underneath that. Are there other ones you would describe? Just
1: sadness and, you know, grief. I mean, all this innocence that is stripped away from you, all of it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot to grieve when you've been abused as a kid.
0: Yeah. Hmm. You you talk about how uh, many sheep don't run away, but they're pushed away. And I, I think it, one of the things that I've heard so many times, as you've told these stories, is, you know, many of these women who are in the streets or in <laughs> prostitution were abused early on, got involved in drugs, and then they make they find themselves in prostitution. It's not that they chose that, but they were almost like pushed away into that. Is that right?
1: I think so. I think it's what, that's what I, you know, it's like, you know, people don't just wander off to the streets mainly. Mostly it takes a bunch of broke systems and communities to get them, get them there. Whether it's a religious community, whether it's a family system, whether it's, you know, you know, addiction in the past, whatever it is. And, and, you know, people find that that is the option that they have hitting the streets.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's, the way I think of it sometimes is just like thinking, like, okay, if that's your choice is to go live mm-hmm. on the streets, be raped, beaten up, then what were the options?
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: Yep, yep, yep. So the, one of the last things I would say about all that, though is that I'm not sure, like, my goal ever in running Thistle Farms was like to say, like, okay, I think we can we can end abuse, we can end prostitution, you know, these things about the human condition that are just broken. But what I think we can do is say, you know, even after there's prevention, even after there's, you know, People with cards that can are supposed to be trying to make sure women, young girls don't run away and hit the streets and get picked up. Even even with all that in place and somebody goes to the streets, what we don't have to do is believe that women have to stay out there forever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that there are ways to come back and ways to recover. Do you know that we have not had a relapse in our community in eighteen months? We haven't had a woman who's come out of the prison system in the last three years go back, zero. I mean, women recover. Women make amazing changes. And so you don't have to be stuck in something, even though it's like old and really, you know, people give up, and some of the women have maybe 100 arrests on their record. It's like you can change. It can change.
0: Um, And, yeah, I think that's such... That's what's so encouraging about your work is that there's so many stories of healing taking place, of love truly, as the book says, heal. Like, there is stories of redemption. There's stories of, of kids whose mom, a mom was a prostitute. She came out of the system, found your community, got involved. The kid now has grown up successful and has a job working with the mom in your organization. And it's just a, like there are beautiful stories like that. And in the book, you talk about ways that healing does take place. And some of the stuff you talk about seems like very uh, underwhelming to some. It's mm-hmm. lighting a candle, uh, hitting some yoga poses, um, sitting Playing in silence. A burger, yeah, it, drinking tea. Yeah, taking it, a walk. Yeah, it seems like that's okay. If if you look at someone who's in, <clears throat> excuse me, someone in in addiction and in, in drug addiction and prostitution, and you say. Drinking some tea, taking a walk, saying a prayer, that's your recipe to get them out. It seems like that's not, a, not enough, but how does that work?
1: Well, you know, I want to say two things. One is that the woman that you're referring to, her daughter, Ebony, um, that came back and started working um, with us to increase the number of whole food accounts we have at Thistle Farms and who's done an amazing job, just got engaged three weeks ago and there's a picture of her on facebook and she has she's on the beach and she's holding her hand up with a ring on it with her boyfriend with her and smiling and she said best day ever i said yes and i kept thinking about how like how many yeses it took so that she could say yes a whole community you know saying yes and whole food saying yes and i don't know it was just a really powerful moment where she got to be free enough to say yes i love it Hmm. But then um, when you were talking about the, um, you know, what you're offering people around healing, you know, I mean, healing takes time and space. It's not like a magic cure. It's this beautiful, intentional walk to remember who we are and whose we are and all of that. And so to have stuff in your everyday life that reminds you is one of the best ways to do that healing. So it's great. I mean, it's great when you see an eclipse every 90 years. (laughs) You get to see an eclipse or whatever. But what's really beautiful is like learning to say like, okay, my walk from the car to the house is a moment of peace and prayer and I'm going to do that with intention and do it faithfully every single day. All of a sudden, that's part of a healing day. Yeah. And if you say like, I'm not just going to gulp down a cup of coffee and run out the door. I'm going to get up 10 minutes early, and I'm going to, like, brew some tea and, you know, which also has caffeine, but it's not so jarring, and just sip it and give thanks for every person who's done something kind for me.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: can change your day.
0: Um. Okay, one of the practices you also talk about is foot washing, Mm-hmm. And let me tell you something. We had an elders retreat, and we did foot washing like with uh, elders and staff, and I think that's really gross. Um, like touching feet and stuff, Like that's real awkward to me. Um, could we remove that for the second edition of the book? Is you any- know
1: what? You have a lot of work left to do in your life.
0: No, I don't.
1: No. Yes. Guess what? I'm
0: a paragon the of the maturity.
1: Gospel, in the gospel, it says, the only thing it says— is if you want to be my disciples do this, and then they wash feet
0: that's a metaphor it's no it's, it's, a, specifically
1: it's a, a washing feet. it's
0: a textual variant I think in the earlier manuscripts that's redacted out i don't think that's supposed to be in there why do you is,
1: <laughs> it's, the reason is is that it's supposed to be awkwardly it is intimate and it is gross
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that is kind of you know how we how we're supposed to do it is like. You know, it is so sweet to give somebody a piece of bread and a sip of wine for communion or say, send a text, I'm saying a prayer for you. But the idea of saying, okay, I'm going to let you touch my feet or I'm going to touch your feet. And I think for some people it doesn't work. I don't think it's good for everybody. But I also think it's like a good thing to think, why am I not comfortable with that and why is that so hard for me? Yeah. I think you probably. Why is it so bad for you?
0: Well, I, like part of it, I feel like giving someone a, like a $20 gift card to go get a pedicure uh, empowers people to have a job. And <laughs> so I feel like I'm taking work away from someone who's just trying to pay the bills. That, that's part of it. Maybe I just have this concern for social justice and <laughs> financial equality. Um, and so maybe that's- I love
1: that you think pedicures cost 20 bucks too. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, okay. For so obviously foot.
1: you don't do that.
0: <laughs> it's just a touching the feet. Like that That grosses me out. I, I love communion. I think giving wine and bread is, or in my case, bread and grape juice. I know what
1: you could do to practice. What's that? You could do your kids' feet.
0: Well, I, I, I bathe my kids not, very frequently. Not bathe
1: your kids. I'm talking about like I had oil z- on their feet in the yes. same
0: Okay. I, I have zero problem doing that. But, I mean, you asked me to do that for like a, one of my 65-year-old elders. I mean, that's a different, different story right there. Um, anyway, next subject <laughs> before I get fired. Um, I love my elders, all of them, every one of them. Let's talk about another practice. You talk about the practice of contemplative prayer, which I think that's a great one. But here's the weird thing. In contemplative prayer, you said that you experienced tenderness, hope, but also grief, it seems like if you want to have contemplative prayer, like you, the, the pitch needs to just be like tenderness and hope. But when you throw grief in there, you're kind of like pushing people away.
1: Man, is that right?
0: Well, no, I'm just saying if I was pitching, I wouldn't include it. But I think you're onto something. Contemplative prayer, everything comes up to the surface, right? Isn't that what you're saying?
1: Um, I like it when you ask the question and then answer it. It makes it easier. <laughs> um, I think Hey hey You
0: know what You're a CNN hero of the year I don't want to put Too much pressure on you I know you've done a lot You're already heroic I don't want to make you feel Like you have to be heroic again
1: Here's the thing Is what I think Is I think we all got grief Yeah And so it's nice To find a safe place And sometimes that is By yourself Quiet To let it Rise up And say like You know Part of being human Is that Things we love Die Or things that we hope for um, didn't come to fruition the way we wanted.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm flying in my jet right now. I,
0: don't <laughs> I was know about to mean. say, you just uh, your dog stopped barking, and now you've decided to walk onto an airport.
1: The thing is, is that um, I ha- I'm a jet setter.
0: Mm-hmm. I know and that. So I
1: wanted to have that as the ambient music behind me so people got that sense.
0: That, that's what it felt like to me.
1: Um, you no, know, I told you I live by Vanderbilt, and mm-hmm. so that's the life flight. So what's happening right there, which is what I was thinking was beautiful, was that... Somebody's coming in to get their life saved, and somebody's grieving right now no. um, and worried sick while we're listening to that sound. But all I was saying is that really, I do think. I mean, my husband's mom and I, dad died the last month, oh. and when he got the news that his dad died, he had just landed in London. He and our oldest son were are doing we're doing a two week tour. Um, they just got back last night for the CMA's Country Music Association. And he said, you know, it wasn't unexpected at all, but mm-hmm. he was just like, I can't, I can't even begin to process that right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I just I have to finish this out and I'll come home and then I'll grieve. And I thought that was like really smart, like. I know I need to do this work, but I got to get somewhere pretty quiet and safe before I can really do it.
0: Yeah. In the book, you describe actually when your mom passes away, um, and you have a line there. Let me read the line for my listeners. And you said this, but when I learned over, but what I learned over the course of those hard weeks is that my heart grew in love through the jagged pain. In grieving, hearts can grow stronger, and in pain there is comfort because love abides. Uh, so the idea of love growing through the jagged pain of grief, it, it, do you feel like love it, it, the only way for love really to grow is through like the pain and the hurts?
1: I don't know if it's the only way, but I do think it is a powerful way. And for people who are listening and who have done a lot of grieving or who have mourned things in their own life, and you know, the idea of saying... You know, I will sit with it and, and, and feel how love grows. I mean, so much is forgiven in death. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. And that, you know, maybe you love people fully when you grieve them, you know, to an extent. Or maybe it's that you say, I'm just free to love them. I don't have to remember one thing they said 10 years ago, you know, that my father said or mother or brother said that, you know, really hurt me. It's like, it's all gone. It's done and you can love them and it's there is like you sit there and you grieve and there is pain and then also you do feel like God, I love them. And this is a beautiful way to honor them is to feel this to sit here and be willing to grieve and feel that powerful love.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I agree. I I had a uh, I had a friend pass away a month ago, uh, unexpected heart attack, the age of 46, and so our, our church has been, you know, grieving loss of uh, mm. this guy who passed away far too soon and uh, sitting at a wedding Sunday night with his, his widow and just thinking, like, there's an empty seat that should be full by my friend. And
1: oh, I think... And does she have little kids?
0: Uh, yeah, teenage kids. Um, and so, like, to, to feel what you should feel, I, I think, is a way to honor them. It's a... And, I think to move past that, like you missed the full experience of humanity. It's life and death. And without, I I think without, are you an Enneagram fan? Have you? Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, I I went on a cruise with her this summer. With who? Amy.
0: Amy who? Amy Grant. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know her. Yeah. I don't oh, what did you just say? An Enneagram, not Amy. <laughs> oh, I thought you said Amy Grant. <laughs> okay, we can talk about Amy Grant too, but. Um, I was
1: like, yeah, I know, Amy. Why are we talking about Amy? Enneagram. Sorry. Enneagram,
0: yeah. Let's talk yeah. about I, I've got an Amy Grant story I'm going to tell you later. Are you an a- the Enneagram, the personality typing system?
1: Yes, I know that. And I work with Ian Cron, who wrote it. Wrote a oh, great book.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, the Road Back to You, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I help them start their podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, but, uh, so I'm an Enneagram 7, so I run away from feelings, and I found salvation comes from not running from them, but stepping into them. And I think, mm. anyway, that's, do you want to hear my Amy Grant story now? Yes. So one of my college roommates, he married uh, Vin, Vinskill, is that his name, right? Yeah. His manager? Yes. No, no, no. I, my roommate from college, his father-in-law was Amy's manager. That's what it okay. was. And so Amy and Vince sang at their wedding. And it was really weird to me because my grandma has a huge crush on Vince Gill. And when I was a kid, I had a huge crush on Amy Grant. And so it was weird having them in the same room together. (laughs) Because there's like this weird tension that bubbles up between me and my grandma over Vince and Amy. And I don't, I, I I, I need a better counselor to help me sort through that stuff. But anyway.
1: Oh, that is awesome.
0: Yeah, tell tell Amy I said that, and uh, I
1: will. She has been such such a good friend at Thistle Farm.
0: Oh, I saw you guys. You posted a video with her singing, and you were talking about the book a while ago. Yes, I saw that. That was good. That was good. Um, can we? I want to talk about one more line from the book. And the highest honor as a preacher I can give to you as an author is when you wrote this line, or when I read this line that you wrote. My first thought was, I'm going to save that for next Easter. Oh, maybe I can use it. Yeah, but it's already your line, so I don't feel like you need to use it. It's, you already used it. It's my turn now. Um, the line is, water can move rocks and thistles can break through boulders to bloom. If water and flowers can move stones, surely love can. I like that idea of the love moving the stone, like resurrection is that love rolls the stone away. And it seems like in your work, you're seeing love rolling away stones and bringing people who in some ways were somewhat dead and they're brought back to life and they're blooming and I, I, I just I love your work and I love the stories that you tell because it reminds us that resurrection still happens today
1: Mm-hmm. It, all the time all the time it's my favorite part of the work and it keeps me from ever wondering about does life have meaning or worth or hope I never have to worry about that stuff because I see it around me all the time. I've seen, I mean, just, we've had three new women in the last month who have come in that you would think, they've had the holy crap beat out of them. And they're like so grateful and hopeful. And it's like resurrection is happening right before you if you can have the eyes to see it. It's so fun. It's just a gift.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's that. what
1: makes me weepy still about this work, Luke. It's like, oh my God, what if we hadn't been here? What if all these people hadn't been so kind to us and we didn't have these doors open? This woman from Iowa, this young, young woman wouldn't be standing here before me mm-hmm. like with her first chance at life.
0: Yeah. That's great. That's right. Let me say one other nice thing to you, and this will be the last nice thing I say while we talk, okay? So I don't want to you'd feel like I'm just buttering your bread over here. Um, so I've done a few podcasts, I think like 200 something at this point. And sixty. 260? Two, there you go, 260, thank you. Thank you, Becca, for keeping track. Um, and I usually get the book in a mail and then I will make copious notes throughout the pages of the book so that I can process and, and engage with the material when I have a conversation and later in life as well. But your book was so aesthetically pleasing, I couldn't write in the pages of it. I, so I had to, like, write on the inside, which is all, like, thistly and purple, which made it difficult for me to read my notes. But, like, it's such a, like, pretty book that you should just have, like, sitting on a coffee table with all the pictures and stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, and Harbor Collins was amazing because they let us use all the images from Thistle Farms so that the tea and the oils and the candles, those are all ours. Really? on all beautiful pages. Yeah. So it's, like, it feels like it's really our book. Our community's book, and I can say our book because so many of the stories came out of there, and all the money, one hundred percent of the money, goes back there to Thistle Farms from all, you know, all sales.
0: So it's almost like a tax write-off if you buy the book.
1: Yes, I'm not an definitely. accountant,
0: but I think that's right.
1: But the other thing is that I've never had a book that had a silk ribbon in
0: it. I, I feel like I should sing the the words in the book because I feel like it's kind of like a songbook because of the ribbon.
1: <laughs> I was like. How come they put a silk ribbon in it? That seems crazy. And then it's like, no, that's fancy, not crazy. That's awesome.
0: Do you think I should, could get a silk ribbon for my book? Do you think that would be a nice touch?
1: I think when you write your ninth book, you can get a silk ribbon.
0: The, is this your ninth book? Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, some of them, one of my friends said, really, some of them are more booklets instead of books.
0: Okay. So maybe like fifth book? for Maybe
1: fifth okay. full book.
0: All right. Well... I'll write that down. I'll tell my... Uh,
1: hey, you written in your book. Huh? I mean, how long is your book?
0: How long? It's... Uh, the first one is like 55,000 words. Yeah. How long is this one? How many words is it?
1: About 55,000. Yeah. Maybe 50... I'll say 56,000. Oh,
0: I mean, mine's like 57. <laughs> I'm in 57.
1: Yeah. And but. that was me saying that without... Um, the quotes from scripture. So I'm going to say 58.
0: Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have my forward or the uh, bibliography of mine. <laughs> so, so maybe okay. I just need a bunch of pictures and then it'll be just like yours. Um, yep. uh, do you have any questions for me before we go? I felt like I've asked you a whole lot and I, I know you probably have a few that are just burning in your brain right now. And I didn't want to make you feel like they, they went unanswered.
1: So, what keeps you energized about doing the podcast and talking to all these folks and reading all these books and doing all these notes and interviewing people? How, what, what's, what's the, what's the gift for you in all of it?
0: Not to, to be very, I'm genuine. There's no sarcasm in this at all. I really enjoy like this moment right here, just having this conversation with you. That's, that's very fun for me. And the reason I do the podcast, uh, like there's some back end work of like the posting and all that stuff um but i enjoy reading books that are good and i enjoy talking to people who are interesting and this is uh one of the many interesting conversations that i'm grateful to have and uh, i don't know just curiosity and interest in learning and growing and and uh this is a gift to me that i get a i get to do this so i think the podcast offers me a weird uh, a rare opportunity that i get a read something that's moving to me, and then I get to talk to the people who've created the, the art that has shaped me. And
1: mm-hmm. that's it. That's beautiful. That's simple and beautiful. That's how I think love is.
0: Mm-hmm. Simple and beautiful. That's, that's basically what they called me in high school. Simple and beautiful. Um,
1: I think that's, that's, you know, as good <laughs> as it gets, probably.
0: Simple and beautiful. There it is. Um, I don't know
1: award for her but I'll get I'll make one for you
0: okay I would I'll look forward to that uh when I come next week to Nashville I'm probably going to sit outside your house and um and just wish you were there but that's okay that's not creepy at all just tell your husband I'm going to do that okay
1: <laughs> go to Thistle Farms instead go sit at Thistle Farms it's more it's more beautiful we just opened it up and you're going to be blown away about how big and beautiful and simple it is like you in your high school days. <laughs>
0: You know, it's funny. I was going to edit that out after I said it because I immediately regretted it, but you just made a callback to it. So I can't, I can't edit that out now. So thank you. Um, Okay. Is it the same, same location?
1: 5122 Charlotte Avenue.
0: So is that the, I don't, I didn't remember the location the last time I was there. Is it the same one? Same location. Okay. All right. Becca, it's great talking with you as always.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for listening.
0: This podcast was brought to you by our friends at Podbean, your all-in-one podcast hosting and publishing platform, and now with their new mobile app, it gets even easier. You can record and post directly from your phone. So if you've got a message you want to get out, if you've got teachings you want to share, go to podbean.com backslash newsworthy, and they'll take good care of you. Go check them out, like I have, because they're great. For checking out Newsworthy with worthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you back here next time.